Let's listen to Dr. Sammy Youssef's music and his podcast, ReflectionsPodcast.com. His guest will be Dr. Ibrahim Collin, and then there will be more music from Sammy Youssef. Also, there's a selection coming. Here's one selection coming from Maher Zain. Nabi, Nabiya, Salamu Aleikum, Aleika will be the second selection. The first one we're listening to is Breeze by Sami Youssef. Then we'll hear Maher Zain. Nabi Salamu Salamu Alaikum You may also You may also hear A few Selections from Quran And Please Overlook my Uh very humble attempt to read Arabic. Thank you for tuning in. Take care of yourself, your families. Stay safe.
blessing ya nabi salam alayka that actually the world doesn't have any meaning right the world the world is just a composition of material components and neutrons and protons and chemicals and, and energy and matter and all of that it is not transcendent meaning you know it's just the world out there just take it as it is we're listening to ibrahim Khalil and sami yusuf on reflections podcast on YouTube. Mr. Ibrahim Carlin, it's an honor to have you with us. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. I've been following all your works. Um, you're an intellectual, you're a philosopher, you're an academic, you're in the highest office in your country. You're doing so many great things. And you're a really great musician. <laughs> Brilliant musician. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The for this very kind words, which I don't deserve, that's a reflection of the beauty of your soul. Thank you, and I've been a big fan of your work. Uh, what uh, doing through your music has been really remarkable. It's it's more than music; it's really a journey uh, along which you've taken so many of us and have shown us a beautiful light and and, uh, and light in times of darkness and hope in times of despair. Uh, so thank you. I, I I want to ask you the million dollar question: How is it possible? to do all these things, brilliant in so many different areas, but still grounded in the modern world, in light of all the clutter and sound and noise, it's a better word, that we hear in the world and all the problems of the world. How do you stay grounded? How do you find that balance? Well, uh, I mean, as I was growing up as a child, I always thought that I have to be grounded in something uh, in order to do something. If I'm going to travel, I have to start somewhere and I have to have a destination, uh, a sense of direction, whether uh, you know you go to the grocery to buy something uh, or uh, you set out on a journey to get uh, you know knowledge and that scholarship and, and, and become a professor or, or a professional in any field. You have to have a goal in mind. You have to... Uh, have some idea the purpose for which you are doing all this and this really brought me back to uh, our traditional concept of wisdom or hikmah and uh, when I studied the Muslim philosophers and thinkers and and, and, and theologians and Sufis uh, you know I, I've come to the conclusion that uh, wisdom is really what should be guiding our actions our thoughts our feelings our minds our hearts because wisdom is uh, uh, the purpose for which we do anything. Yeah. Whether you are a physicist or a doctor or uh, a politician or a scholar or a poet, you have to have an explanation for what you're doing. And that's part of our quest for meaning because we are beings driven by a quest of search for meaning. We cannot do anything without meaning. Right. Uh, the, the nihilists have claimed in the modern world that no, actually there is no meaning and we just have to live with it uh, but deep down we all know that yes there is a question of how to bring out that meaning realize it in your life make it available to others yes that's a big question but we cannot live without meaning we know that meaninglessness cannot be an answer to our quest for meaning uh, even logically of course you can say meaninglessness itself is a response or is the meaning but you know it's it's self-contradictory it's it's not really logical and uh, so I, I've tried to, you know, make a sense of what, what I'm doing 
Uh, and all that brought me to uh, a kind of a multidimensional understanding of reality. My reading of my own existence in this world uh, and everything else, from politics to music, from academia to social issues and, and other things, uh, gave me the uh, insight into the fact that reality itself is multi-layered. Therefore, my response to it needs to be multi-layered too. Meaning that if I cannot reduce reality to one single component of it, which I cannot logically, because the world is so rich, reality is so multifaceted, I have to have the intellectual, spiritual, artistic abilities, capabilities, capacities to respond to different aspects of reality. Because uh, to be honest with you, you know, we, of course, we are lost in this in this world of uh, uh, noise and, and, and overspeeding and overdoing everything. Yes. And you always need a time for self-reflection. You need to pause a little bit. How do you do that? It's, <laughs> it's hard because the, the world has by you. It's, you know, it's moving too fast. But as Tolstoy once said, if you're running in a beautiful garden, you cannot see any of the flowers. You just have to slow down. Sometimes just stop before a rose uh, or a tulip or, uh, or lily or something to witness uh, the beauty of that flower. Uh, if you're just, you know, passing through and you know, running and rushing, etc., uh, you're not, you're not, you're not in a garden. You, you, you miss, you miss out on so much. You just have to slow down a little bit. But you do it in a way that, you know, you don't obviously neglect your duties. You don't fall behind. Uh, therefore, you concentrate on what is important. You have to have priorities. You know, you can spend all your time, your days on, you know, secondary stuff and on, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, all kinds of things that distract you from the real issue. But if you have a sense of direction, a meaning, a purpose for which you're doing all this, I think it's possible that you uh, manage your time better. And actually God gives you uh, blessings uh, and actually it increases your time at your 24 hour and it becomes, you know, much more than just miracle 24 hour. And there are moments, I'm sure you have all experience, you have experience, Yes, there's the old experience. There are moments where you feel like, you know, just a moment, 10 minutes or one hour is worth days of uh, work or conversation because it's so concentrated. It is so deep and substantial. Uh, and I, I always felt like uh, time, temporal time in which we live as finite human beings is a drop from eternity. You're always connected to eternity don't realize it, but there are moments in reflection, in contemplation, in music, in spirituality, in prayer, or uh, in the face of a major, major event, a loss, a trauma or something, where you feel like you're touching eternity. You know, you're connected with that eternal moment uh, in, an, in a moment of extreme love and affection. You know, your love for your child, your love for your uh, wife or your husband or your, 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 your parents, etc. You feel you feel that moment also that, you know, you're connected to that moment of eternity. And all these things, you know, bring in and infuse more baraka, you know, into, into your time. You know, it, it, it kind of, it becomes a, a self-motivating that, you know, you, you try to make sense of what you do. You try to infuse your actions with meaning. You want to do something 
for which you can provide an explanation. You know, I'm doing this because I have a good reason to do it. Right. Uh, and uh, and this is especially difficult in a world in which we are told, whispered into our ears, that actually the world doesn't have any meaning. Right. The world, the world is just a composition of material components and neutrons and protons and chemicals and, and energy and matter and all of that. There is no transcendent meaning. You know, it's just the world out there. Just take it as it is. So we know deep down, you know, we are more than that. As human beings, we search for that meaning. And, uh, and wisdom provides value, uh, you know, to figure out how to uh, reach that meaning and realize it in our lives. And uh, uh, in our tradition, again, uh, which I believe was the tradition of the West for a long, long time, too. Yes. Uh, you have the unity of what is true, what is good, and beautiful. That is logic, ethics, and aesthetics. They were one unified reality. They were never separated from one another. If something is good, then it is true. It is based on truth. And if it is something good and true, it must be beautiful too. And if it is something beautiful, well, it must be based on truth and goodness. Now, of course, we have a, a very different set of priorities, a very different value system, where what is good, what is true, is measured by, say, profit, yeah. productivity, uh, efficiency, uh, quantitative numbers, bigger, bigger is better, yes. uh, numbers, statistics. We've lost the quality uh, in our lives, and the quality of life has left us. Now, that, that's why, you know, the educationists are talking about, well, you have to spend quality time with your children. It's like, you know, uh, the rest of the time you spend with them is, is, is not without, is, is without quality. And, you know, they get poisoned and, and they become toxic with all these images and messages and all of that. Uh, and then you spend time, quality time to clear that up. It's too late. You cannot compete with the speed of the modern world, social media, you know, uh, uh, instant gratification moments, uh, pleasures and all of that. You cannot compete with any of that. You just have to bring that quality uh, as a mode of life, you know, into your time and space. Otherwise, you know, spending so-called quality time, say, even if, you can, even if you can do it for one hour or so a day, which I doubt many people can do. Uh, given their busy schedules, etc., uh, you, you lose everything. Therefore, wisdom, hikmah, in our traditional sense of the term, you know, uh, reminds us that no, what you do must be based on truth. That it must be true logically. It must be based on goodness. It must be good ethically, not evil. It must be based on virtue, and that it must reflect, you know, the beautiful aspect of existence. Aesthetically, you have to surround yourself with beautiful things so that your mind and your heart can function in harmony. And beauty is never a luxury. Today, in the modern world, beauty has become something you you, you buy and sell. That's right. As it, it is something expensive. Only rich people can have beautiful things, say beautiful objects uh, or houses. That's so wrong. You know, beauty in the traditional sense was never... Uh, first of all, a commercial product. Uh, a mosque was built or uh, a carpet was woven uh, for the sake of its sacred meaning and beauty. 
not for selling or turning it into something commercial. Mm-hmm. Of course, some had to sponsor it, pay for it, no doubt. It had its own you know, market logic, but it was never an object in and of itself for sale, right? Uh, calligraphy, music, and all these things were meant to add quality to our lives, help us in our search for meaning. Right. Uh, when you listen to music, when I listen to your music, for example, or the music of uh, you know great Western composers like Bach and Vivaldi, and even before them like Corelli and Telemann and many others, or other great musicians from the Muslim world, Sheikh Shati Ali Khan or Umm Gulthum, or you know many many others, or from our folk tradition like Neshat Ertash, Ashik Waisel, and many other great great composers and musicians. You know what I see in their music is that well they're all on a journey, they're showing us the path that they traveled. And inviting us, if you like, this is this is what I have. You can come and join me, and uh, you know you can look at the different experiences in that journey. So all this, uh, you know, uh, gives you uh, a sense of unity. You try to look at things from a, from a more unitary point of view. Therefore, uh, whether, as I said, in my case, for example, yes, I serve uh, as an official in the government. Uh, you know, I write books. I Try to play music and, and try to explain what I do to people. You do more than try to play music. You do more than try to play music. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you. I'm hearing this from you. It's, it's very kind. Thank you. Uh, so all this, um, you know, makes sense when they are together. And when I separate them, compartmentalize them, they lose their integrity. But we all want to live a life with integrity, intellectually, but also in terms of our heart and feelings. You said so many things. You know, each thing is opening a new door. You got philosophical, which is lovely. I'm a student in this area. You're a, you're a, you're a ustad. You're a uh, accomplished teacher. You talked about different realities. It reminded me of a quote by one of our sages: "That which is lacking in the present world is a profound knowledge of the nature of things. What is reality in itself? And the, as you said, the different layers of reality." Well, it's a very good fundamental question. Uh, reductionism is one of the philosophical diseases of the modern world. We tend to reduce things to one component of a huge system, thinking that it will help us control it. Not explain it scientifically, it's a function of control. Uh, because if you keep it simple, then you can control it, you can manipulate it. That's been the driving force behind many of the reductionist scientific ideas, uh, unfortunately, in the modern world. Because, uh, you know, uh, modern capitalism is driven by the idea of control. Right. If I can control you, I can define you, then I can sell you more products. Right. That's the bottom line. I mean, it sounds very gross, but believe me, at the end of the day, that's, that's the logic behind it. Because, you know, all these uh, statistical uh, studies and psychological studies on social media, behavioral patterns and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, all these trends and all these things, uh, they are studied in order to figure out what you like and also the ways in which I can influence your taste, your preference, so that at the end of the day, I can sell you more products, right? I want to sell you more. Unfortunately, that's that's modern capitalism. And so control uh, becomes uh, a function of capitalism. And science, knowledge, uh, investigation, all this becomes a function of finding different ways of controlling you. And uh, the customer, and in fact, suddenly human beings become customers. We are no longer human beings. 
carrying the light of the divine within our souls, but we're just customers, mm. right? We are either customers or potential customers. Only two kinds of people exist out there for capitalism. Now, uh, control issue is related to simplicity. If you can, if I can keep it simple, that is reduce all this complexity to one or two components, then I can control, you know, by pushing one button and that's it. I mean, remember what happened in Truman Show, right? The way, you know, his life was set up uh, that, you know, he, he was controlled in so many different ways, his life. And uh, he didn't know that he was set up. He was part of the setup that he was living uh, a life of a lie, a life of uh, a, a constructed being uh, constructed only for the sake of TV so that they can sell products. And, you know, there will be a moment when, you know, they will show uh, a product. And, you know, his wife comes to him and says, I, I want to uh, cook you this uh, macaroni today, but it's actually commercial. Yeah. You know, and it is so inhuman. Now, this was Truman Show shot, I think, some 30 years ago. Today, strangely enough, everybody wants to be part of the Truman Show. With social media, you know, I want to share everything, every picture. I want to put it out there. I want people to like it. And I, I, I want to live another life on social media, on virtual reality. It's I mean, it's terrifying. Uh, when you think about it, what happened to your privacy? What happened to your own self? What happened to your own identity? I mean, you're just redesigning yourself every single day according to the most current fashion and trend and, and, and all that stuff. You're no longer yourself. But all the capitalism actually uh, provides the means to make it happen so that I can control it. The point is, reality is much more complex than to be reduced to one of its components. As our Muslim philosophers and many others like Heidegger in the Western tradition have said, uh, existence, al-wujud in the philosophical sense of the term, is more than uh, the total sum and collection of individual existence. That is, you know, I am more than a collection of my organs. I am more than my hands, my, my, my feet, my eyes. Yes, they are part of me. They are me. But when they come together, I am more than my, my, my organs, right? I thought, you cannot reduce me to my hand or eye or ear. Yes. Right? I, I am a whole when each is distributed equally. So if that's the reality, that's the nature of reality, then I have to understand reality uh, <clears throat> at different levels. Uh, at the material level, yes, there are tools that I have to understand the physical things. Yes, I do. I have this glass here. So, I mean, that's how I respond to it. At the level of ideas, then I, I use my mind, and that's how I respond to that reality. At the level of imagination, you know, the world of imagination, Alam al Khayal, for example. This is, in fact, an experience of Alam al Khayal in a sense. I mean, you are there, you are on a screen, I am on a screen. We are real, but not real. We are kind of traveling between different levels of reality. So, I respond to it through my imagination. Uh, poetry, music, religion, metaphysics, and novel, you know, all these things respond to a particular aspect of reality. If I reduce all this complexity to one single element, I miss out on this incredibly rich nature uh, of reality. I think this is one of the things that uh, we are forgetting in this modern world. Uh, and we are forgetting the fact that uh, simplicity is not reductionism. Uh, you can be very simple, 
with incredible complexity behind it. Because uh, as, as they say, simplicity is the ultimate complexity. You know, it, it, uh, you, know you, you, you want to do it in a simple way without reducing it to a single component or element. Uh, it's like, for example, your music, right? I mean, you, you sing something, you carry a, 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 a feeling, a sentiment, an idea, you know, in that, in that, that song. Uh, and it's a little journey. You're inviting us to join you there. And uh, sometimes musicians also feel this, like the, the best moment you reach is the simplest moment uh, in a musical tune. It's not this very complex, you know, the, the, the type of thing, but rather a very simple sound, which actually, in my view, is a reflection of the celestial sounds. Just bring them down here, or they kind of let themselves to come down here, wow. connect with the eternal sound. Uh, uh, that's how I... You know, when I when I hear great musicians, great composers, uh, I feel like they just went up to the heaven, brought this down, and wrote it on a piece of paper, and and, uh, and I played it. Uh, it. It sounds so uplifting, so spiritual, so deep. But it cannot be. This cannot be reduced to simply some physical, chemical actions or reactions in my brain. It, it would be insulting to human dignity. To claim that this is all about this chemical things happening, you know, in my mind. Why are they happening in this way and not in another way, right? You talked about so many things again. Each one of those uh, illusions open new doors for questions. I don't know if we have time to talk about this, but could you maybe talk about why, especially in the West, why this desacralization process took place and why the trajectory was somewhat different in other traditions, say in the Islamic tradition or the Hindu civilization or other civilizations, traditions. Uh, I'd love to know about that and then I'd love to talk about music. Yeah, well, very briefly, uh, the rise of modernity had everything to do with uh, the failures of uh, Christian theology and traditional Christianity in the West. When uh, the Christian churches uh, stopped providing convincing answers, that is, uh, and they lost their wisdom to explain why things were happening in that way, uh, you know, other values open up, uh, and uh, enlightenment, uh, you know, became the dominant uh, ideological trend and the philosophical outlook for the West, for Europe first, and then spread to the rest of the world. That's a long history, of course, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, get us lost uh, in that in that history, uh, but it, it is an important uh part of our story because we've become uh, influenced by it and, and our minds have been shaped, you know, by all these uh, uh, grand uh, generalizations, even the, the, the words, I mean, terminology we use, you know, they call everything uh, medieval dark ages. That's right. Well, it wasn't that. We were listening to part one of the Revelations podcast.com on YouTube, the Revelations podcast with Dr. Sammy Youssef and Dr. Ibrahim Kalin, K-A-L-I-N, Kalin, Ibrahim, I-B-R-A-H-I-M, and Sammy, S-A-M-I. Yusuf, Y-U-S-U-F, 
on YouTube and other streaming platforms. We'll continue with part two in a moment. I'll, I'll read from the Quran, chapter 30, the Romans, section 3, Manifestations of Divine Power in Nature, verse 40, verse 20, excuse me, verse 20, chapter 30, verse 20. And of his signs is this, that he created you from dust, then lo, you are mortals who scatter. 21. And of his signs is this, that he created mates for you from yourselves, that you might find quiet of mind in them. And he put between you love and compassion. Surely there are signs in this for a people who reflect. Twenty-two, and of his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and the diversity of your tongues and colors. Surely there are signs in this for the learned. Verse 23, and of his signs is your sleep by night and by day and your seeking of his bounty. Surely there are signs in this for a people who would hear. And 24, and of his signs is this, that he shows you the lightning for fear and for hope, and sends down water from the cloud, then gives life therewith to the earth after its death. Surely there are signs in this for a people who understand. 25. And of his signs is this, that the heaven and the earth subsist by his command. Then when he calls you from the earth, lo, you come forth. 26. And his is whosoever is in the heavens and the earth. All are obedient to him. That's the definition of Muslim. All in the heaven and the earth are submitted to God. All in the heaven and earth are Muslim. 27. And he it is who originates the creation, then reproduces it, and it is very easy to him, and his is the most exalted state. 
in the heavens and the earth, and he is the mighty, the wise. Thank you for listening. We'll continue now with part two of Sammy Yosef's interview with Ibrahim Khalil. Wasn't that dark, first of all? Yes, there were dark moments, but there are dark moments in our modern history, too. I mean, genocides, the Holocaust, two world wars, chemical weapons, weapons of mass destruction, uh, and all of that. Well, these are very dark realities, but we don't call this age, you know, dark age. We call it uh, information age. We call it uh, now many other many other names. But uh, the reality is, is, is that um, uh, when a great tradition stops asking the right questions, it begins to die. This is true for all traditions. Same happened in the Islamic tradition. For some time, uh, members of the Islamic tradition, scholars, luminaries, intellectuals, intelligentsia, and others, stop asking the right questions. They either stop quest asking questions, saying that we don't need this, this will uh, take us too far afield, we're going to lose our faith, etc. We cannot stop human thinking in the name of protecting the faith. Because... If you do that, faith becomes devoid of content. You lose, it, it loses its persuasiveness. And, and if you lose it, And sentimental, it becomes sentimental. It becomes purely sentimental. Yes, I, you know, I believe because I love my, my family. I believe because, you know, I love our mosque. Mm. But when you are challenged on an intellectual basis, why you are believing in this tradition, why you are believing in God, why you are believing in the hereafter, and you don't have good convincing answers, then faith becomes sentimentalized. And uh, that's that's a big danger for faith, uh, you know, because once you take away that sentimental element and put something else in it, that's it. It's, it's gone forever. Right. You cannot recover from that. So you have to keep the intellectual principle strong. Uh, unfortunately, the Christian tradition in the 17th, 18th centuries lost that. Uh, they were not able to provide new answers. Uh, and another, you know, uh, path was open in a sense, in the West. enlightenment and, and the rest. Um, so when, when you stop asking questions, that's a big danger for any tradition. And then when you start asking the wrong questions, that's another problem. Uh, you know, you, lo you get lost. You have to find, you know, uh, what the right questions are. You cannot avoid them uh, so that you keep the tradition uh, alive and moving. Tradition doesn't mean that you mummify the past. Tradition doesn't mean that you simply have a nostalgic idea about what happened in the past. Tradition means that something very precious has been given to you and now you're asked to do something with it. And if you don't know what to do with it, you are basically uh, betraying your tradition. You're not giving its due. If you take that tradition Bring it today, revive it, revise it, energize it, uh, vivify it, and, you know, uh, uh, and then add something to it, and then you know you're part of a living tradition. Otherwise, tradition becomes just uh, history. Uh, what you need is is not history. What you need is a living tradition on which you can shape your present uh, and, and and future. Uh, it's only through that interactive and, and dynamic approach with or a relationship with tradition that you know we can benefit from the uh, 
the great luminaries of the Islamic tradition. Uh, yes, Imam Ghazali is extremely important, from Al-Farabi to Muhammad Sadr, they are extremely important. Uh, from Ziryab, right, in Andalusia, the great musician, to Mimar Sinan, the architect. Uh, but you just, want, you just don't want to simply admire their work. You know, you want to learn from them. You want to engage them. Uh, I want to ask questions to Al-Ghazali and Farabi. And, uh, you know, I want to get answers. But then, you know, I have to ask the questions of the today, of the present day, uh, and come up with answers that will make sense uh, in that long uh, tradition of uh, thinking through through reason uh, and through our uh, arts. My question now is really about music. I love the way you play Balama. I love your Balama play. The last piece I heard from you was um, the Ashik Vaisal piece, actually. Lovely. And I did some research on him as well as a fascinating, I was ignorant about his life. Um, your voice is really unique. Really unique. Because it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it has this beautiful warmth um, in the low mids and mid uh, uh, range. And I don't know, I love it. I really love your voice. I think you should do more music. Release more content. Do you have an album? Thank you. Well, the, first of all, thanks again for this very kind words, especially coming from you. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, through your music, you've put us uh, in so many different beautiful states of reflection and beauty and compassion. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. Uh, because your music has reached beyond the Muslim world. I mean, uh, you know, it has become a global voice and uh, you've uh, accomplished so so much, you know, with your music. Uh, in a sense, this, this is in tune with the spirit of music, you know. The, the word music comes from muse, as you know, and, uh, and the muse is uh, what, in, what brings inspiration. And uh, once you have that notion of inspiration, meaning that, you know, you are simply not the master of what you're doing. You're giving something and you're sharing it with others. So it makes you humble, actually. You, you can never, if you are a true musician or master of anything, you can never be arrogant because you know that your talent is given to you. Mm. Your task mm. is to use it uh, in the most effective uh, way uh, and do it in a humble way so that, you know, it is graced, it is augmented spiritually. And when you share it, it doesn't become less, it becomes more. Because it's always almost like contagious, right? It, it spreads from one place to another. Oh. So I, with music, I always felt like, you know, it opens up so much in my mind, in my soul, uh, and that, uh, you know, I uh, begin to understand better the, the, the meaning of the ineffable. There are moments where you reach the point of the ineffable. There are things for which... There are no words enough to express what you have in your mind, in your soul, in your heart. And you reach that point of the ineffable where you begin to say the most beautiful things. You have to really go to that limit uh, beyond words so that you can start having a conversation in silence. Sometimes the most beautiful conversations happen in silence without words. You are in the company of your friends, your companions, uh, and uh, you just keep silent. And that's the most beautiful conversation 
And you never ask, why are we keeping silent? Something happens, something wrong. You never ask that question. To the contrary, you enjoy the silence together. Because that's where the ineffable penetrates our minds and our souls. It opens up so much. You say so much by not saying. Music is, is the most important venue, for me at least, to express those feelings and ideas uh, and states without saying a word. Uh, just hit the note, say something, you know, it, it, and uh, kind of it draws you inside and, and you begin to concentrate uh, on, on that moment. And then there is the beauty of performing it because especially with other musicians, uh, when you play with others, the synchrony, the harmony that comes out of that joint work is so beautiful. You know, you're yourself, you're always yourself. As a singer, as a composer, or as an instrumentalist, you're yourself, but also you're with others. You don't lose your individuality, you play with others, in fact, they bring out the best in you, especially if you are playing with good musicians. Uh, they invite you, they stimulate you, they tempt you sometimes, you know, they do this, you know, you do this in the middle of the music, right? It's all uh, improvised. You don't, you know, you, of course you practice, but you know, there are moments where you feel like when you're part of an orchestra or group, uh, an ensemble, for example, you have this perfect combination of the collective and the individual you're part of something larger than you without losing yourself and when you play with other musicians you feel like uh well can i live my life like this not just playing this music but i'm part of a larger reality my community my family my friends my university my country and humanity at large and i have that sense of uh, flow you know, with others, without losing my individuality, my personality, but without becoming arrogant either. Because I know, you know, my talent becomes more valuable when I am joined by, by others. Uh, so, I mean, th th these are the things that, uh, you know, uh, kind of inspire me when I when I do my music and listen to music, play, play music, um, and, and convey this, this sense of the ineffable uh, through music, uh, which I believe, as I said, says so much than uh, than any words you may choose. You still haven't explained how you do all of that, though. <laughs> how do you find the time to do all of it? <laughs> to release music and singles and and then you you know I mean anybody who's familiar with your with your work and life knows that you're prolific. You're very very busy. You do a lot of things. How do we get some of that baraka? In time, you learn how to do things on the go. Uh, when I was uh, at the university, I was teaching as a professor there, you know, I had my own time and you know, I could schedule my things and spend hours in my office, library, and, and right now, I don't have that luxury now. Um, so uh, I, I realized that well, when I travel and I uh, you know, go to places, official meetings, and other things, uh, there are times uh, I can work on the plane, uh, at the hotel, uh, you know, this and here and there. So I, I developed this, uh, you know, habit of doing things on the go. If I'm writing something, I always have stuff with me, you know, my books and my notes and my computer and things like that. I cannot carry my uh, saws, my musical instrument everywhere, but, you know, it's always here and here. So it's in my mind, in my heart. So kind of I always played, you know, even from afar. 
symbolically or spiritually, so to speak. Um, so I mean, you learn how to do these things, uh, you know, in, in, in time. I think, uh, and also spending less time on less important things. Right. I know. Uh, you know, spending less time on social media, TV, and things like that. I, I'm not saying that don't do any of this. Of course, we cannot avoid them, no doubt. But do it in a reasonable way. Do it to the extent to which it is really necessary for you, for your life. Uh, and then, you know, concentrate on, on, on what is important, what is really enduring. Uh, because we all want to attach ourselves to something that is enduring, not something flimsy, not, uh, you know, something that will be passé in the next five minutes or in the next, in the next two days. Yeah. You know, you want to you wanna remain anchored in something that will give you uh, a sense of continuity, endurance, uh, a sense of f- fulfillment. Uh, otherwise, there is no end to this instant moments of gratification, uh, physical or, or sexual pleasures and things like that. There is no end to that, but there is no deep spiritual satisfaction in them either. There is no uh, answer to our deep search for meaning in any of this. We have to go above them, beyond them, get a sense of uh, uh, contentment and uh, uh, fulfillment. Thank you so much, Professor Cullen, for gracing us and honoring us in reflections. Given that we're in the pandemic, living these very, very unprecedented times, um, it would be lovely to hear a few reflective words, if possible. Yeah, the COVID-19 has turned out to be a major test for all of us, for the world system, for the global order or disorder, if you like, for all the countries, uh, has shown that uh, there are no hierarchies when it comes to such major catastrophes, rich and poor, big and small, eastern and western, U.S. or the Middle East or Europe or Asia, doesn't matter. I think this this in, invisible virus, the virus that we cannot pick with naked eye, you know, has brought the entire world system to its knees, and the, the whole world system has tested positive. So we have to really take action to uh, learn some lessons uh, from this. It, it was good that, you know, we began uh, self-isolation, uh, social distance, masks, etc. But what's more important is to show the ability to move from self-isolation to self-reflection, from self-quarantine to quarantine ourselves from all that is evil, that is base, that is gross. If we can develop those, and I think we've learned through this process that we can live with less materially speaking, less is better. Uh, And uh, as uh, Schumacher said many, many years ago, small is beautiful. And I think we again remember that small is possible, is beautiful, is more meaningful, and it doesn't have to take a global pandemic, a disaster like this, for us to remember that, in fact, as human beings, we can live by being less dependent on what is lower than us, that is material things. Let's depend on something that is higher than us rather than lower than us that would pull us down. I think these are good moments of reflection for all of us uh, in terms of the overall purpose and meaning of our lives. And uh, we've been given so many blessings. Uh, I mean, the fact that we breathe, the fact that we are able to speak, the fact that we are able to see, the fact that we are able to hear, it's time to understand how precious these are, to be able to see the sunlight, to be able to hear the, the, the songs of the 
words to be to be able to touch you know the uh, the fruit that you're going to eat to be able to taste a cherry or uh, or apple and appreciate how precious and important they are and never take them for granted listening to part two of Reflections Podcast, episode 12, Sami Yusuf and Ibrahim Collin on YouTube or on any other streaming platform. And wanted to add on to what we just heard. I have a little bit of time left. Wanted to add on another another segment from Quran. We read the Romans chapter thirty section three. 20 through 27. Manifestation, manifestations of the divine power in nature. We read it in English and the Arabic translation. The best that I can do in Arabic is verse 20. Waman Ayati Ha and Kalakakum Min Turabi Turabin Duma Idaa Antum Bashirun Tan Tashiru un na wamen a yati hi an kalaka lakum min an fusikum an as wat ajan. Jal let us go no ille ha wajala painaku kumme kuma wadaha.